Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real World Productivity Podcast. I'm Adam Moody, and today I'm talking with Jeroen Korthout, co-founder of Salesflare, about his background and experiences. So we're going to jump right into this. We've got a, a lot of, I think, very interesting and relevant questions, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what Jeroen has to share on the topic. So first of all, let's just jump right in and welcome uh, to the podcast. Uh, the very first thing I always want to find out about people you're in is uh, just a little bit about yourself from you. So can you share uh, as much as you want uh, or as little just about you so we all get on kind of the same page, who you are, what your background is? Uh, yeah, I can share all kinds of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm co-founder and CEO of Salesware. Um, Salesware, for people who don't know, is a, is a CRM system for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, it basically helps you to follow up your leads uh, in a better way and compared to other CRMs what it does a bit differently is that it's uh, essentially we built it to be an automated system for you from the ground up so it's a system that collects the information for you and you can still manage it uh, while other systems are more like manual systems where you're constantly inputting the data and it it really helps you to uh, manage your customer relationships better um, before Salesflare uh, I've done all kinds of stuff um, when I was a teenager, I started off with building websites. I studied uh, biomedical engineering. I ended up doing marketing in a pharma company. Uh, then I joined a consultancy that helped um, life sciences companies, like healthcare companies, to um, basically organize their marketing, sales, and CRM better. I tried to start a few companies, uh, which all failed and, uh, well, or didn't succeed. Um, they don't. They didn't completely fail per se, but. Uh, and Salesforce is the first one that, uh, that actually is succeeding. It actually started from another uh, software company we were working on where we had a lot of leads and we didn't manage to, um, well, we didn't find a system that actually helped us to follow them up. It always failed at some point. Like we would, we would use another CRM and then at some point we would, we would give up because we couldn't keep up with all the work we had to do in the data input. And then it becomes a vicious cycle where uh, if you don't keep up with the data input, the data is not in the CRM, it becomes more useless. Uh, you do even less data input and at some point, like your whole sales system falls apart, uh, which then leads to uh, disappointed prospects or customers and uh, less sales, uh, worse relationships and all that. Yeah. Um, so we started thinking, how can we solve that? And now that is a business by itself. Cool. Uh, well, that's one interesting, there's a lot of stuff we could definitely go into there. It's an interesting background. I'm going to set most of that aside for now. I'm personally interested, uh, but having a biomedical background and then ending up where you are, I guess it's like a lot of people, there's never a straightforward path, right, to getting where you're going to go. And I really identify with what you said about a lot of, um, you know, I, I understand you said at first that a lot of the businesses failed and I understand where you meant about it just wasn't successful. Um, I've seen the same thing and was recently just writing a newsletter about that, that most activities we have will not be successful and we need to, you know, learn how to prune those out so you can move mm -hmm. on and do sales flare, right? Because if you had stuck with all of those, you never would have gotten to this point. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've done some active pruning in, in, the, in the process. Uh, at some point I was working like on three companies and then i just had to figure out like which one do i want to focus on uh i ended up pruning one for instance that that is now has now raised uh many millions uh but i still think that what i'm working on now is, is much more interesting um the reason why i'm not in the healthcare space anymore 
is I was really passionate about it and I really want to help people. And I think there's so much uh, that can be done in healthcare, uh, but it's also a space where things don't move as easily. Um, doctors are generally resistant to new technology. Uh, there's a lot of regulation you also need to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just made it a bit less interesting. Well, now in the, the, the sales space, uh, sales marketing tech space, it's the complete opposite. Like we can do so many cool things. There's regulation, obviously, when it comes to uh, data protection and security mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but the, the people uh, at work in the space are looking for new stuff. They want things to be better. And that's just uh, much more fun. Yeah, that is a chance just to complete mindset shift, right? Yeah. So instead of, you know, holding back, you're actively trying to push forward or, or the people who use your tools want you to be pushing forward. So interesting. All right, well, let's uh, back it up a little bit and focus more um, specifically on you. I'm really curious, what's your normal routine like? Um, you know, we, we hear a lot about having good routines, importance of them, but I'm always curious, and a lot of people are like, specifically, what do you try to do on a daily basis? Are you a uh, get up and do this thing every every day are you just kind of you do whatever and uh, it kind of works out or how do you do that um i i i build routines as we go and i actually changed a lot of things this year mm-hmm. um when i wake up uh, one one day and two i go running uh for half an hour um it's this uh well specific run i do on a on app I'm, I'm a bit geeky when it comes to that like a biomedical engineer right so i have this mm-hmm. this thing that i uh, attach to my foot which tells me how hard i put my foot down which then helps me not to injure my knees mm-hmm. and i sort of obsessively track that i don't uh quickly build up my running i do it very slowly to make sure that uh, i preserve my joints as much as possible uh, and also uh, that i stay within the right heart rate zones uh, that's all uh, attract. Uh, I didn't used to do that when I was younger. I was I was much more uh, impulsive and all that, but that, that changed. Yeah, oh, I'm other, curious too. What's the name of the app uh, or the the to, the thing you use for, to measure the impact? It's called Move. Um, I think Move. That's, wait, I'll track trying. it down and uh, we'll include that. I'm personally interested, and I think other people might be too. So yeah, I definitely identify. Getting older, you got to watch the joints. It's Move. M-O-O-V dot C-C. Uh, and the thing I have is the move now, uh, which I then combine with a, with a heart rate monitor from a bowler, I think. The, okay. Yeah, the chest, ri- the chest strap? Yeah, the H10 okay. or something. I'm not exactly sure. And it works with their app. And in their app, they have um, like programs for all kinds of sports. I do running mm-hmm. and I do the interval one. Uh, currently okay. I'm doing three intervals and uh, always upping the level and then, then combine my uh, heart rate data and my um, the data that comes from the thing around my foot and it get, constantly gives me advice on uh, like put your foot down a bit less uh, now you need to go a bit faster behind the pace you're ahead of the pace whatever cool all right interesting so you do the running uh, and then what comes in after that so yeah, one day and two now I do the running and the other day I do the, uh, I do push-ups and sit-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to uh, keep, keep my body in shape, not just on the cardio level, but also make sure that with all the sitting I do in a day, um, I have uh, proper muscles in the front, uh, which helps in the back as well. Um, so that's the other thing I do, so working out. It's not extreme. It's just, I, I think currently I do 
60 sit-ups and 20 push-ups. Uh, I used to be way better at that when I was younger, uh, but uh, I, I have not been doing much for, I think, 15 years. So. Gotcha. Well, let's compare. I'm, I am curious because this definitely speaks to me, but uh, I'm 41. How old are you? I'm 35. Okay. So I've definitely, there's been a mindset shift of mine through when I was going through my thirties where I went from, you know, how can I maybe do uh, like, um, like uh, muscle growth or how can I do a short routine to, Hey, what can yeah. I do for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, and so that for me has been the same change where instead same of thing. working out a lot, it's like, okay, I can do 50 pushups every single day. And I can see myself doing that for decades. So I'm going to try that instead of saying, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour, three times a week. The same thing. I also think about it now, like what is something that I can keep doing? Um, and then, uh, slowly build that up. It doesn't really matter the speed as long as I keep doing it. That's the most important thing. Definitely. I totally agree. Yeah. I think that's a big, uh, note to make here is for people trying to, uh, implement some routine. Like for myself, I'm trying to do some yoga now. I was like, I've just been resistant to it. Not for any reason. I like it. I've done it before, but I realized, yeah, I need to slowly add that in. And so I'm starting with one day a week and say, okay, if that works well, then, you know, I'll grow it from there. Yeah. I'd actually like to uh, similarly, uh, move meditation in now. Mm. I sometimes do it, but not consistently at all. Um, and I, and I know that if I do it, I take some time to calm down a bit, which helps in many, many ways. Um, but my daily routine actually didn't start at the right moment because before I do these things, uh, I also, um, take a, a resvera cell pill from foreign research, I think, uh, which is this, uh, thing which contains uh, a few things like resveratrol, uh, NR, um, I don't know exactly anymore. Nicotinamide riboside, I think, um, quercetin, and something else. And those are all um, compounds that help uh, put your cell in um, restoration mode instead of in growth mode, which helps you to get uh, older. That's at least what the latest research said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not super proven yet. Uh, but there's, there's quite some studies already that went that direction. I, I read the book Lifespan, uh, written okay. by D- David Sinclair, and that's uh, what this is based on. Um, I also take a, a, a vitamin B12. I'm, I'm not American, so I don't take a lot of um, um, uh, extra stuff. Yeah. But this is absolutely essential because I'm uh, eating vegan now. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. or, or actually, uh, whole foods plant-based, but my, my wife uh, tends to tell everyone that I'm vegan. I just like to uh, not eat processed foods and as many plants as possible. Um, and if you don't eat a lot of meat, then you need B12. Otherwise, you get all kinds of weird disease. When you get neuropathy, where your the ends of your muscle, uh, your 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 nerves start uh, aching in very weird ways and stuff. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I knew that. Yeah, you needed to take supplements. So for anyone listening, if you're yeah. uh, considering the vegan-ish uh, or a whole more plant-based diet, yeah, make sure you're taking your supplements. Wow. Um, so this is a really good timing because I have seen some of your, uh, interviews, your previous interviews, and I've seen the bicycle in the background. And although people can't see it today, your bike, uh, is there. So obviously running sounds like your main physical activity. Do you also, uh, ride a bike or what else do you do? Not, not currently. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it is my bike. Uh, it is, uh, it is on, on rollers there. Mm. Uh, It's currently used by my wife. Uh, gotcha. I'm, I'm now uh, all into running. 
maybe I add uh, biking to it at some point. But uh, like you said, uh, it's, it's most important thing right now is that I, I keep doing the running. I, yeah. I build a rhythm there. And when that's effortless and I want to add the biking and I think that is sustainable, I'll do it. Uh, but I used to bike a lot, actually. Uh, when, uh, when I was uh, 16 to 18 or so, my best friend was a cyclist. Mm. Uh, uh, now, now, not anymore. I mean, he still, still sometimes does it, but we would go training a lot and that was so much fun. Um, yeah. Nice. So uh, does, does that kind of wrap up your morning kind of physical activity? Because I want to transition into what do you do when you kind of set, begin to work? So yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, I eat stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I go work. Uh, we start off our day with a stand-up meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very simple thing to do. Uh, we basically, uh, for, for, for a while during the pandemic, we, we used to do them uh, in a written way. Uh, now we do them uh, live every morning. Basically, we jump together on a Zoom call every morning. Um, and what we do there is we uh, say what we've done the past day, mm -hmm. the last day, like, um, and say what we're going to do that day. It is an amazing way of, first of all, for yourself, uh, planning your day and reflecting on the previous day, but then also as a team communicating about what you're doing. Uh, which is uh, very helpful as well when you always know what all the others are doing uh, you can be so much more efficient as a team but yeah. I, I would say the, the most important thing is for yourself even like if you know what you're going to do in a day you can yeah. be so much more productive and if you can communicate that to even simply in a call it's much more clear than just assuming you know what you're going to do or the other thing I'm thinking of I haven't done a stand-up meeting uh, with my team before uh, but I think that one of the the good things like you were talking about, if everyone knows what everyone else is doing, there's no chance of major uh, people going way off the path. You know, no one's going to be doing yeah. something for a long time and find out, oh, I should have been doing something else. You're going to find out on a daily basis what's going on. Yeah. And, and it makes it easier to collaborate. Like my, my first experience in a big company, for instance, uh, I, I worked in that company for uh, as a pharma company for 10 months. And most of the people around me actually that I was sitting with every day, I had no idea what they were doing. Uh, so it, it makes it very hard for us to function as a team uh, because you, you don't know what they're doing. So it, it's, not, it's not like, oh, you're doing that. I can help with that. And that just doesn't exist. And uh, we, we do this on a, on a very detailed, meticulous basis. Um, so we can always like actually function as a team, uh, almost a machine. Uh, always working on the right stuff together. Gotcha. And with uh, with this, how many people are on this call? Uh, we're the seven of us. Okay. Cool. And it, uh, is that Salesflare or is this kind of like that the leadership team? Salesflare. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know. I was like, it could be three people, could be thirty. Who knows? So, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. No, uh, we're serving uh, thousands of companies, which is seven people. That's awesome. Uh, so we need to be very efficient um that's uh we we do all these kind of things to communicate very effectively we automate most of the things we do in the company uh we have all kinds of software doing job for us uh, as you know we also uh make sure that you, we don't need to offer a lot of support because everything is is, is more or less clear uh so 
Gotcha. Anyway, in my routine, then uh, yeah. I don't really have anything defined after that. Um, in the day, I, I try to um, uh, batch up some meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I have some in the morning when it's Australia um, because it's their end of day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do some there. Uh, I try to do some uh, focus work then, or I have an internal meeting. Uh, same in the afternoon and then end of day is always uh, US calls because um, then we, I'm in Europe so yeah. one end is Australia and the other end is the US um, so the end of my day is mostly uh, all kinds of calls mostly podcasts actually okay cool uh, well then speaking of speaking um, I went to LinkedIn uh, to, to obviously check out a little bit more about you I had heard about you um, also to check out how to pronounce your name correctly so that I could uh, in- introduce you and hopefully meet you correctly. But I noticed that you speak six languages, um, or at least that's what it says on LinkedIn. So I feel like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this might not be as remarkable in Europe, but it still seems impressive to me. Um, and I'm curious because from a learning aspect, was this something you actively pursued or was it just by virtue of where you grew up and the people you were around? Um, first of all, uh in Europe, in some countries, it's uh, it is remarkable. In some other countries, less. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, um, so in Belgium, we have uh, two or three national languages. Uh, my mother tongue is Dutch. Uh, when I was a kid, we lived in the French-speaking part, and actually right next to the German-speaking part. Mm-hmm. If we would have stayed there a year longer, I would have had German when I was seven at school. Um, in the end, I had it from when I was 15, 16. That's when it started in, in secondary school, we started having uh, German. So actually we have uh, um, like Dutch from the beginning, right? Uh, yeah. And then French from when we're uh, 10 years old, uh, English from when we're 14 years old and German from 16, let's say. Okay. Uh, so we already start off with four. Um, I, we, we went a lot on vacation to Italy. I liked the language at some point I figured uh, I'd like to study there. I did that. So I studied Italian. I, I, um, I studied biomedical engineering at the Politecnico in Milan. Um, so hence the Italian, I have actually, my wife is, is, is Brazilian. Hmm. So hence the, the Portuguese on my, um, LinkedIn profile. I also studied Spanish. Uh, sort of disappeared between the other languages the yeah. other three roman languages uh, erased that a little um and then at school actually i also had uh, latin i studied that for three years and old greek uh, which i studied for five years gotcha okay so uh this kind of leads in then so one i appreciate you answering and i know it seems like a bit of a tangent but i was like this this stood mm-hmm. out to me and seeing is how it's something you apparently like to learn or or at least enjoy it or have i have uh the capacity to figure these things out so with salesflare being around for seven or more years now um you know you co-founded and led a growing company um so i just want to start off this is very general but you know what can you talk about about leading a growing company and from that i think i'll come up with some more questions but i'm curious too because you had to have learned a lot as you went along you know what you're doing now in 2021 with salesflare is not the same as what you did in 2015 right no no uh it's very different um I could talk about a lot of things, but I think the main thing uh, for other founders 
mm-hmm. uh, is that your job uh, mostly evolves a lot. Um, I used to start off um, building product. Uh, still do that, but it's uh, less of my time. In the beginning, we were just, I was basically doing a partly a customer research and part, partly product. Um, then that customer research turned more into uh, part sales and support and customer research. Um, then um, uh, the sales at some point became uh, marketing. So I started doing marketing. Uh, we started getting a lot of organic traffic. Uh, I did uh, support for a while, just almost all the time. Um, then I was able to hand that over, could focus back on marketing a little. Uh, so my, 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 my job is always shifting. Currently, my job is, uh, I would say, mostly marketing, mm-hmm. partly product, and then a lot of other stuff. Um, a lot of it is around uh, creating um, better processes, improving things, um, making sure that the team works uh, together more effectively. Um, yeah. So as you went through this, I'm curious, did you, um, this sounds familiar to me. I've heard other people talk about this. Did you have anything that kind of guided you or that you um, look back and you're like, you know, I read this article or I talked to this person or I had this mentor or that opened my eyes to, yeah, I need to stop doing support. Or was it just, you realized if I keep doing these things, we're not going to grow. I need to switch. So I need someone else to take care of this other stuff. Yeah, more the second thing. Uh, And I think the way it works is um, you uh, start doing something. um, You start figuring out how it works. You start finding the right approach. But at some point you feel like, okay, uh, we figured it out now. Somebody else could do it. And I could focus myself on something that that needs me now. Uh, And then you just find someone that is uh, better at doing what, what you have been figuring out than you and you move on to the next thing. Gotcha. All right, so with Salesflare, uh, obviously you gave a little bit of an introduction to it in the beginning, but I would think with uh, Salesflare and your experience in other businesses, I'm curious what you could tell either entrepreneurs, small business owners, you know, people, whether they're operating solo or maybe just a few people on their team about keeping a prospect and sales pipeline flowing. Because I know with a lot mm-hmm. of people, whether it's agencies or small businesses, and almost like you said, you get in the role of, okay, you're busy marketing, you're, you're the salesperson, but then you've got to fulfill and then your pipeline isn't full and then you scramble and yeah. got to get more people. So you've got to know a lot about this. I'm really curious what your advice is for people. Uh, and how to keep your, your sales pipeline filled, but also yeah. deals moving. Yeah, especially for the smaller people. You know, I think it's one thing when you have an established business with established roles, but if it's you mm-hmm. as a solo operator, or maybe you have a couple part-time employees, how do you, do you have any advice or you know, for yeah. people like that? Uh, I would say um, try to build some rhythm as a, an obvious one perhaps, but uh, don't just focus on uh, revenue goals that you have in mind. Uh, make sure that you translate that into, uh, this is the amount of people I want to add to my pipeline every week perhaps. Uh, so you have a number there and you know uh, what to hit. Plus uh, the amount of deals you need to close in a week uh, maybe it's not one a week, uh, even maybe it's, it's, it's a few a month or so, but, uh, have, have a number there that you can work towards. If you have these two numbers, uh, you can sort of keep your, uh, pipeline in check 
what happens with a lot of companies is that uh, it's a sort of a roller coaster uh, between uh, uh, closing a lot of deals and then uh, and then all of a sudden having an empty pipeline again and needing to fill it again. Uh, you want to avoid that. You want to be able to focus on two things. Um, there are some books that will tell you to split up uh, these two jobs in two different roles. It is a possibility, uh, but if you're a smaller company, it's probably the same person. Uh, mm -hmm. And in that case, you need to keep yourself balanced. Uh, get a CRM that helps you with it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, one that you uh, enjoy using and that actually helps you uh, with that follow-up. And then your job is, is, is not too complicated. Um, you define a good sales process because you're guiding uh, people from uh, essentially from point A to point B, uh, point A where uh, they, uh, they have a problem that you can solve and B where you're solving it. Uh, in between that, uh, especially in B2B sales, there's steps and uh, they might take some time, uh, they might take some convincing. Um, so it's good to map out these steps and then at every step of the way, always focus on getting people to the next step. If you have it mapped out well, and you know always what the next step is, you can communicate very well to your customer. Uh, you can start identifying their context and how you can get them to the next step. Mm. Uh, and that's an actually the, 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 the second part of the job. The first part of the job is uh, keeping it all organized with these steps, uh, keeping track of where to, um, um, when to follow up about what, uh, still knowing all these things. So being organized is one. Yeah. Uh, and two is uh, being very empathetic. Uh, that's that's actually the, what most salespeople are really good at, being empathetic and, and not so much at being organized. So I think that first. But then being empathetic, um, like don't, don't get on a sales call and start um, giving a presentation that is standard that you give to everyone else without even uh, taking the time to meet your customer, ask some basic questions about what it is they need, uh, try to understand their context, uh what are the things that might block uh, whatever it is you're trying to do together and all that uh that's really important um and maybe with all the the, the zoom burnout nowadays uh, some very basic advice is take each call as if you're meeting a new person because you are uh, mm -hmm. don't take it as uh, just another call because then it becomes really really boring uh, it becomes this, this really painful uh, process with uh, Zoom burnout as a, as, a, as a result. But if you take every single call as I'm meeting a new person, I'm getting to know someone, uh, I get to understand all the things about them, I'm going to help them. Uh, and it's going to be so much more motivating and you're going to be so much more successful at, uh, at this being empathetic uh, part. That's really good. I really like that. And I, I think... Um identify a lot of what I tell people when uh, they're asking me questions about email, uh, whether it's uh, SaaS companies or uh, e-commerce or courses is, is, you know, if you're going to write your emails yourself, one thing you can always do is just whenever you write it, go ahead and write whatever's on your mind, but then reread it and ask yourself, you know, is this something that is about them? Is it helping them? Or am I talking about my own favorite subject, me? Because it's easy for us, right, to talk about ourselves, but we need to always ask, hey, is this helpful or not? And if it's not, you know, okay, maybe it's it's not bad, but you need to change it and make sure it's always about them. 
So, um, and then what you said too about being empathetic really reminded me the best thing I ever did at my master's program. I walked in there as a um, going into a um, optics course and physics for a master's degree. And you would mm -hmm. think the first thing they give us is a textbook on optics. And they didn't. The leader of the program went out and handed out copies of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And okay. I was like, this was mind blowing to like, you know, to a science backgrounded person to read that. But one of the things they, uh, I forget, I believe it's Dale Carnegie who wrote it, Dale but Carnegie, talks, yeah. yeah, you know, talks about be interested, right. in what people are doing and for an engineer type person, that was such a mind shift and it, but it's really benefited me well. And I think that's what you're talking about too, like hopping on a call and just being, Hey, how can I be interested? I want this to be good not only for them but it will make it better for you as well so it's kind of a win-win in my eyes yeah definitely and and the point you made about emails is, is is definitely also i mean it's emails next next to having meetings uh writing emails is probably one of the the skills to have nowadays um always put yourself uh in the other person's shoes uh wonder like if they would receive it uh, would they feel um, understood, respected? Uh, would they they feel like going to the, the next step with you? Or yeah. And, and actually, the, the biggest danger nowadays is uh, email automation, um, where it's very hard to do this uh, at scale. Like it's very hard to imagine uh, a lot of people and then write a good email towards them. The best thing you can do there um, is to. Uh, do it manually first, like mm -hmm. send the email to a first person, try to understand uh, them and, and, and how they, uh, what they might react to. Do it with another person, another person, another person. At some point, you'll, you'll find that uh, after applying your empathy a bunch of times, uh, you might see that you're doing it differently in different cases, but there is this common um, thing going on. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, you can start automating and you can, you can make something that sort of works for everyone, maybe with some personalization. Um, uh, the, the, that will completely set it apart from all the other email automation that they get that, that seems like totally out of the world where you wonder like, what was this person thinking when they were sending this? Uh, yeah. Did they think it would trigger themselves even uh, if they would receive this? Yeah, and I'll have to say, you know, a uh, shout out to uh, Carrie on your team, and I, maybe you helped develop this, but um, and I'll link to the blog post too that you have on the um, on the on your blog about doing cold email outreach, and I ah. saw on there the same template that I got. And, and it does work because it's good. It's about me. It's not about you. Uh, and, and it's short, right? It, it hits all the cold email, you know, uh, kind of things you need to do. And I want people who are listening to this, if you haven't seen one of these, um, to go check it out. And of course, this isn't something you can just send to anyone for any reason. Yeah, like uh, we're hearing, you need to, to keep this stuff somewhat customized, but find out what people want, keep it short and make it about them and, you know, kind of go from there. But it, it works and it works well when it is done correctly. Yeah, yeah, the one you're talking about, that uh, email actually gets almost a 50% response rate. Um, yeah, which is great. Uh, to, to get me on podcast, basically, Gary sends it to uh, podcast host to be selected. Mm -hmm. um, the, the process before it also contributes to the 50% uh, reply rate where we actually check manually whether there's a match. Mm -hmm. So we don't do everything fully automated. That would get to quite bad results probably. Um, but then the email itself is indeed simple. Um, 
and it, it tries to um, imagine what it is for you uh, to get these emails, which is pretty easy for me because I have a podcast as well. So I get a lot of uh, crappy pitches. Um, first of all, uh, I interview SaaS founders and they email me all kinds of people uh, that have nothing to do with my podcast. This is the first frustration. The second one is that they uh, uh, send me like this uh, A4 almost. Oh, you don't say A4 in the US, right? Like it's like just a big sheet. Yeah. A full page yeah. Yeah, with, with, with all the things that the person accomplished uh, in their lives. And I need to like figure out like, okay, does this make sense? Does it not make sense? Um, and, and then there is no sort of uh, direction to it. Um, uh, the, the thing I think we, we ask in our first email is like, whether, whether we have to talk to you or someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an, an easy thing that actually works on not just when you try to get a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, when you're doing cold emailing. Uh, this, is, this is mostly the first step because we're not sure that you're the right person to reach. Uh, it might be someone else. And it's a very small step for you to take. You can say like, no, it's not me. It's, it's this other person. Mm-hmm. Um, this makes that uh, you're more likely to take action. And when you take action, the person that uh, you redirect us to is very likely to take action, uh, especially if we email uh, you as uh, the CEO or so, uh, then the chances are super high. Um, and then I think in the next emails we ask, is there a form? Because very often the podcast is a form to fill out where you book. Yeah. Uh, so in the next thing, and then we ask something like that again. Yeah, Just I think that, oh, go ahead. Imagine. Yeah, imagine how it works on the other end and then try to optimize for that. Definitely. Yeah, I really like that. I've actually got a uh, cold email campaign that uh, I need to go edit after this because I like the idea of asking for the um, the referral. You know, if this is if you're not the correct person, can you point me in the right direction? Because if you do get that, it's basically like getting a warm referral. That person, like you said, sees it yeah. coming from a trusted source. So, you know, great. So really like that. Um, so back to kind of uh, the business side of things and the team. Um, I'm curious. You, of course, have a lot um, of experience. You're um, you've done a lot, but have what have you done to help the other team members at Salesflare in terms of organization productivity? Is there anything that you you've done or do on a regular basis with the team uh, to help them? Because I imagine everyone comes from different backgrounds. Uh, so I'm just curious what you've done with the team. Uh, so I talked about the stand-up meeting earlier that we have, uh, which is a very basic thing you can do. It's very easy to implement, and it, it helps a lot to have people plan their day and reflect on the previous one and communicate it to everyone and all that. Um, next to that, we have a, have a bunch of different types of meetings. We have um, basically a similar meeting, but then more on the, the two-week uh, level. Mm-hmm. where we think about uh, all the things that went well and all the things that didn't go so well in the past two weeks. And then the things that didn't go so well, uh, we discuss solutions and the things that went well, we uh, try to extract learnings. Um, that is our team meeting. We have another one tomorrow. Um, that helps us to always optimize our approach and always get better at things. Uh, and at the end of that meeting, we then also do demos um, where people uh, demo the work they've done so that everybody sees the cool stuff, it's celebrated. And then, um, next to that, we also have planning meetings. Mm-hmm. We have meetings in which we uh, plan what we're going to do in the, the next week or the next two weeks, uh, where we go through this, 
through these things together and that also makes it easier on a daily basis to decide what you're going to do from that list you keep that list in trello and then every morning you can basically oh, i'm going to do this and that and that um that keeps us on the the, the short-term track uh, let's say um to then make sure that we don't over focus on the operational um and we come up with new ideas uh we have specific meetings for that as well uh yeah. like we recently had a growth ideas meeting uh, where we think about things that can uh, improve our growth um, make our business better and then we uh, we select the best ones uh, we define which ones we're going to do which month and then just plan that in in the in the in the more operational meetings okay and then we also have all kinds of meetings around products um to scope that out to plan it to have requirements um where we try to limit uh or to come back to the productivity there uh we try to limit those meetings to three people uh we've seen that if we include more than three people uh these other people are not doing anything they're just watching the conversation mm-hmm. um so for for each of those we select the people that are uh, best fit there we try to rotate a little um and then we work with a, a system where we uh basically write down every single thing we discussed in a google doc and then uh, at the end of the meeting um summarize what the other people should know about the meeting they can obviously read the whole google doc but we don't want them to um we make a quick summary which we then place in slack and then everybody knows what they have to know about what was discussed in the meeting if they want to know everything it's in the doc Nice. I really like that. That's a great idea. I think that uh, anyone with a team could definitely put that into action. I love that you're saving the the time while keeping the communication, you know, very up to date and timely, so people can get that quick summary. Yeah, we we only learn these kind of things because we, they have been going wrong, obviously. So, like, people are like, uh, well, we don't know what's discussed there, and then we we found solutions for it. And... Nice. Um, so you mentioned a few tools. So I'm curious, you personally, as co-founder and CEO, um, you mentioned Trello, um, Google Docs just now. What are some of the other tools you use? People love this stuff, um, you know, and I like to hear it too. I'm always curious what kind of tools people use for organization, running a business, things like that. Yeah, for everything from meeting reports to um, technical documents or whatever, it's always uh, Google Docs. Uh, Google Sheets for spreadsheets. Uh, we, we are in the Google Workspace there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Office 365 works uh, as well. Um, we just prefer Google Workspace. Then we work with Slack for everything that is internal communication and staying updated and all kinds of things that happen. So we, we push a ton of things into Slack also with Zapier. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think we have more than 100 Zaps running that automate a lot of things in our business uh, yeah. like all these little things where you normally have to either have a developer build something or or move over data manually that all happens with Zapier. Um, we uh, use uh, Salesflare for everything that is uh, email outreach and sales follow-up um, not just sales but also partnerships and podcasts are, are a type of partnerships uh, that's all in Salesflare. Our support, then on the other hand, is in uh, Intercom. So customer okay. relationships are mostly there. Um, we integrate the two using Zapier, uh, so we we can can easily switch from the one to the other. 
Um, Trello is for planning on the business side. Mm-hmm. Development has moved out of that and is in Clubhouse now. Not, oh, okay. the club, not the clubhouse that is the app on your phone that's mm-hmm. uh, for the for the, like the audio, audio listening yeah. thing uh, not that clubhouse uh, the gotcha. other clubhouse which is at uh, clubhouse.io uh, which is basically like uh, trello for development on steroids it has so much more uh, specific functionality there um and those are the main tools i think i mean we use other stuff uh, hrefs google analytics github uh, is, is a very important one for us in which we organize our code. Um, but then, I don't know, cool. Revolut for banking and LinkedIn for a lot of relationships. I don't know. No, so, no, it's good. It's just, it's always good to hear, you know, there's always heavy overlap. I think there at this point, there's nobody who doesn't use Trello for something or hasn't used it, but it's always interesting to hear some of the, some of the other uh, ones as well. So we've just got a few minutes left. Um, I'd like to ask you a few uh, questions. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them, uh, this may be the, one of my favorites, but I came across and uh, said you're game for talking about Belgian beer. So uh, I've got to know what's your, what's your favorite Belgian beer? Uh, I tend to switch a little, but uh, it's mostly Gerard Carolus. Um, this is Dutch. If you if you would read that in English, it would be Gooden Carolus or something. It's. I'm gonna have from... to have you send that if you can send me like the written version at some point. That. Yeah, I'll write that it be... for you in the chat right now. Great. Um, I I often drink uh-huh. the classic and the triple. Uh, the the. The classic is a is a is a dark beer, uh, which is a bit sweeter, and the the triple is um, is a is a blonde beer, but with a lot of taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both around I think nine percent alcohol or something, uh, so heavy beers, but very tasty. Yeah. I don't you don't drink them in, in abundance. Well, you can obviously, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, a few of those, uh, yeah. You drink them for the taste, so it's not like it's not like the one bottle after the other or something. Um, but I also often drink other stuff. Like okay, so what's your favorite uh, non-Belgian beer? Oof, that's not a question you ask a Belgian person. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea, actually. No, we're we are, we are extremely uh, chauvinistic about our beers, uh, yeah. first of all. Um, secondly, um, yeah, we have so many beers that it's, I mean, you, you don't really have to go outside of Belgium to drink beer. Yeah, I was just um, reviewing just to be, so by, like, I don't know if this is, or I'll even, I've never known if I'm pronouncing it correctly, so maybe you can help me, but mm-hmm. the Hublon Chouf? A Chouf Hublon, yeah, it's, it's yeah. tasty, yeah. Okay, so that's the one I've had before I was looking through some and being like, I think this is a, a Belgian beer, but uh, yeah, it those is, are yeah. very good. Uh, lots of the triples are really good, um, but yeah. Uh, when you're asking for a, a non-Belgian one, there's a very good triple from the Netherlands, uh, La Trappe. It, it, the, the same, the name sounds French, but it's actually uh, uh, Dutch. So I don't get it either, but, um, but that's a tasty one as well. La, La Chouf, actually, you mentioned the Hublon, um, mm. but the normal Chouf is very good. Mm. Uh, the Cherry Chouf is actually very good. It's like a cherry beer uh, of 8.5% eight, eight alcohol, I think. Uh, what's really good in the winter is the Nice Chouf. It's nice with an N and then a, a, a little uh, apostrophe. I don't know how to say it in English, a little accent. Mm. And then mm-hmm. Ice uh, Chouf. 
it's a it's a dark one, very tasty as well. Mm. Uh, and the chou soleil is also there, is also tasty. All right. Well, I've got some uh, work to do. We're taking me and my wife are taking a year off. We were like, hey, after the you know, just 2021, we're just gonna have no drinking this year, focus on other things. But uh, we're both very into beer. She's very much into dark beer, sours, and uh, so I'm gonna have to pass some of this along to her. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so, okay. So last question for you uh, before we wrap things up. Um, I'm curious, what book or it could be any piece of media, anything like that, do you find yourself recommending uh, to people these days? Um, I, I read books about very, uh, different subjects. Um, oh yeah. It could be anything. doesn't have to be productivity business related. can be anything. I think the one I have most recommended recently was, um, how not to die. Um, I forgot the name of the author. It's Dr. Yeah. I'm trying Dr. to see Gregor, I think Dr. Gregor. Um, it's, it's a book about, uh, how to um, adopt a diet that is better for uh, avoiding diseases within your lifetime, basically. Gotcha. All right. Well, I will put a link uh, to that in the show notes. So um, that is going to wrap it up. Uh, Jeroen, thank you so much uh, for the interview and sharing uh, your information, your experience. I love it. Um, and, you know, where can people go to find out more about you or about Salesflare? Like where should people be uh, looking to, to find out more? Yeah, so, uh, Salesflare is on salesflare.com uh, and Flare is F-L-A-R-E. Uh, you can find out more about the software there. You can you can you can try it without a, even creating an account. Just if you click try it for free, uh, you'll get a little walkthrough. Uh, you can check out our blog if you want to read, for instance, that uh, post about uh, cold emails. Uh, if you want to find out, you can also type cold emails Salesflare into Google, I think. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. Um, you can send me a connection request there. Please do include a personal message um, because then I know what it's about. Otherwise, I'll have to assume it's spam. If you, if you add a personal uh, message, I will connect with you and you can have a chat. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real World Productivity Podcast. If you know someone that would enjoy this episode, please grab the link and send it via email, message, or whatever means works best. Now, if you're looking for more ways to increase your productivity, time management, and team building skills, be sure to go to productivity.academy resources to find out what tools, cheat sheets, and services can get you started and make the most impact right now. For those who want to make fast changes and want to save dozens of hours, I highly recommend joining the 14-Day Productivity Foundation Challenge at productivity.academy slash foundation challenge. This 14-day challenge takes minutes per day, but will help you develop or improve your daily review to get more done with less distractions and loss of focus. You'll also get over-the-shoulder directions for setting up an automation to save dozens of hours and the process for deciding what else you should automate and how to do it. And if you're serious about continuous improvement and you know that productivity, time management, and team building will impact every area of your personal and professional life, join us in the Growth Automation Membership. Find out more at productivity.academy slash join.